Welcome to the second episode of this Livewire series about the Kingdom Principles. So in the first episode, we looked at the fact that what Jesus is looking for is a new kind of person, not a new kind of program. And in each of these Kingdom Principles, we're going to be looking at a problem Jesus faced, a principle he gave his disciples and passed on to us, and the promise that comes with that principle. So one of the first problems that Jesus had was that when he looked at his disciples, he realized that actually there was an issue to do with the way they approached God. This is what he said. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So why does Jesus have to say to the disciples, do not be like the pagans? Clearly he saw something about the pagans in his disciples, and it was a problem. So the best way I can explain the problem that Jesus had to you is by showing you some pictures. Uh, one of my favourite American bands is a band called the Talking Heads, and they had a favorite, uh, a famous song called The Road to Nowhere. Now, I want to show you a road to nowhere. This is a road uh, in Turkey. It's 16.5 kilometers long, and it leads from a place called Miletus. The whole length of the road is filled with roadside shops, uh, monumental tombs, baths, fountains, and rest stops. So obviously most of it is being uh, decayed now, but we still see some of those things. And archeologists tell us that this was a very, very busy road. It was nicknamed the Sacred Way. But it didn't go to anywhere. It didn't go to a town. It didn't go to a port. It didn't go to um, some uh, city. It went somewhere quite interesting. In fact, it led to Apollo's temple at Didyma. This was the second largest temple in the world at that time. It was six stories high. Just imagine that. Every building you've ever seen in your entire life is one story, maybe two story high. And you walk along this road and some, so at some point you see this huge, gigantic building glowing white in white marble. This building took 800 years to build. Construction began in 313 BC and lasted till around 40 AD. It had 122 columns. What happened here was a really big deal. Pagans would come here to meet with their God, specifically to ask their God a question. They would come and they would go to this well. Uh, they would take um, a sacrifice to a priest who would wash it in the well that you're looking at. And the priest would decide if the, if the sacrifice was worthy enough for them to ask their question to the uh, priest or to their God. Then they would go to the temple doors. And if the priest said yes, they would ask their question and then they would wait. A priest would come out, take their question, and they would just have to wait there. They would wait sometimes for hours, usually for days, and the history records that some people waited months and years for an answer. Now, so far this sounds strange, but it gets a lot stranger. Inside 
there would be a woman. Uh, she was called the Oracle. She was the Oracle of the God. And she would be given the question and then she would sit over a pile of chemicals. Nowadays, we would call it glue, glue sniffing. And she would just get high. And as she got high, she would connect with uh, spirits. And she would ask the question and she would receive an answer. And then she would pass on the answer to the priest who would write it down in verse or like a poem. And suddenly you would be told that God had your answer. Just imagine that. The doors would open. A priest would come out dressed in white, dressed as the Apollo, uh, as God, uh, as Apollo uh, the God. And it would be just mind-blowing. And you would be given your question, your answer, I should say. Phenomenal, just uh, amazing. Can you imagine that? You went to this place, you're blown away, and suddenly you're given your answer. Now, the great thing is, for us, we don't need to do any of that. As Christians, we can pray. God can speak to us through his word, through his spirit, um, through, through one another. Uh, but that's what they needed to do. As you look at these columns, you have to realize there was an inscription on one of them that said it cost 40,000 denarii to build. It's also said that the stonecutter earned two denarii a day, which means that that particular stonecutter may have worked for 57 years. 57 years to build one column. His life's work would have been to build one column. This building took 800 years so that people could get one answer from God. But that's not the main point. The main point is the difference between how a pagan approaches God and how we approach God. Let me put it this way. A pagan asks, if I do this, will you bless me? So the kind of questions that were taken would be, I'm, um, I'm a carpenter, but I've been given some land. I'm thinking of becoming a farmer. Will the gods be happy? Will the gods bless me if I do that? One king uh, decided he was thinking about going to war. So he went to the oracle and said, and it's recorded in the history, should I attack that nation? Would the gods be happy if I attack that nation? And will I win if I attack that nation? And they would get crazy weird answers like a nation will fall. Well, that's not very helpful. But the main difference, like I say, is this. Let's look at that question again that the pagans ask. Pagans ask, if I do this, will you bless me? But a Christian pilgrim should ask, what are you doing and how do I bless you? Pagans were not people who rejected God and sought worldly things. They sought worldly things via their God. And that was the problem that Jesus had. The disciples and the people who were probably following him were following him because they were mainly following him because they thought he would bless their lives in their plans. They would, they would see Rome destroyed. They would see uh, a new kind of world. They would see God heal uh, their sick family member. And they were following God for that reason. Their questions of God, the Father, were, will you bless us? If we do this, is it okay? Or should I do that? Which two things give me a sign? And Jesus was saying, no, there's a different kind of relationship the Father wants with us, where we ask him, what are you doing and how do we bless you? And when we do that, a principle, an incredibly powerful principle comes into play.
let's look at our first workshop. Please create either a metaphor, story, or parable to describe the difference between someone who approaches God the way Jesus intended versus someone who approaches God the same way the pagans follow their gods. So we're going to put those two questions on the worksheet and I'd like you to come up with some kind of way of explaining the difference, maybe through a story or a parable or some kind of physical metaphor you could use to explain this problem that Jesus had to people. Okay, let me give you five to ten minutes to do that. Do it individually if you're in a group and then share uh, your idea, your thought, your parable, your diagram, wherever it might be. Share that with the group and then we'll go look at the principle, this incredible principle that Jesus gave to solve the problem. So let's look at the principle that Jesus gave, this principle that for me has been so important in my life and I know for many of you, if you're on page, is highly important to you. You know, the question we ask ourselves so often is, Lord, what's the most effective thing I can do to advance your kingdom? And that question comes from this principle. So let me read it to you. I'm going to read various versions of it. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. My personal favourite, the NIV. And he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So the first thing here we have to understand is what is the kingdom of God? You would be amazed how many Christians cannot tell me what the kingdom of God is. And yet there are over 100 references to it uh, that Jesus talks about in the Bible. It's the main subject. When he's given a blank sheet, when he's just put on a mountaintop and he, he can share anything he wants, he talks about the kingdom of God. When he's asked questions, he brings it back to the kingdom of God. Uh, the word in Greek is basilia, and it means the rule, the reign, the realm, uh, the royalty of God, where God is in control, where something or someone is submitted to the will of God, where Jesus is Lord, that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, if you like, appears. So Jesus is saying to us in this principle, listen, if you seek first the kingdom of God, if that's the thing you're most interested in, if that's your primary concern, don't worry about all this other stuff the pagans run after. I'll just give you that stuff. That just stuff will come to you. Don't chase it. Chase me and I'll provide all that stuff. So let's think in terms of finance, uh, just as one example of this. Let's look at the kind of questions that a pagan would ask, or in our case, a line dweller. Remember we talked about line dwellers, people who, who live on a line, and they basically their questions are, how far can I go before I get into trouble, and what must I do in a, in a way to get a reward? So what kind of questions do line dwellers ask compared to cloud dwellers, people who want to um, advance the kingdom of God? Lion dwellers ask these kind of questions. Do I have to give? How much is required? What guarantees will I get in return? So they're the kind of questions that the pagans might ask. Somebody who's living on the line, who's always asking themselves, what can I do and get away with before it causes me a problem and I get into trouble? And what must I do 
in order to earn some kind of reward? They're the kind of questions line dwellers ask of God. Cloud dwellers, however, listen to the questions that God asks of them. These are the questions that God asks us if we want to be cloud dwellers, if we want to be people who are advancing the kingdom of God, and we're more interested in the spirit behind the rules and the rule of God than we are in just obeying God's rules. Listen to these kind of questions. God would ask us these things. How much do you love me? How much is my dream worth to you? What price tag would you put on my dream? So I mentioned in the previous episode just an example of tithing, giving of our finances. A line dweller will think, well, do I have to give? Do I have to give from a net? Do I have to give from a gross? Um, if I do give, is God going to give back to me? Cloud dwellers ask the question, well, how much do I think God's dream is worth? How much do I think I should invest in this? What kind of price tag would I put on God saving a soul? And where can I invest my money best to see that happen? That's the kind of questions cloud dwellers ask. With that in mind, let's look at our second workshop. Now, what we're going to do here is something a little bit different. I'm going to lead you through a very simple meditation exercise. It's just really simple. So all I'd like you to do is close your eyes. Now, if you're listening to this on podcasts, which a lot of people may do, uh, and you're driving or walking, please don't close your eyes. But if you're on a team, um, I'd like you just to close your eyes or you're, you're at home just listening to this. Just close your eyes. I'm going to take you through a meditation exercise and then you're going to write something down at the end of it. Okay, here we go. As you close your eyes, try to picture your local community or school or supermarket or factory or office, somewhere you you go to you're very familiar with. Okay, have that picture in your mind, that place. And then imagine that everything going on in that place is happening as things happen in heaven. What visual images come to your mind when you think of Jesus' command to love God and one another being first and foremost in that place? What footage do you see in your mind's eye when you visualize the grace and mercy that Jesus talked about dominating that place? What scenarios play out in your imagination if his levels of honesty, love, integrity, and ethics were tantamount in that place? So just keep your eyes closed for a moment. If everything in heaven, the way heaven works, happened in that place, what would that place look like? If people behaved the way Christ followers should behave, if everyone behaved that way, what would that look like? Okay, so now open your eyes. I'd like you for the next five to 10 minutes to write down what you saw. And then share it with the other people in your group if you're watching this live with others. You know, another benefit of this is it's kind of giving you a vision of something that you can pursue. You might even want to preach or talk about this or share this as a vision with people. So write it down and be as practical as you can. Essentially, what would that place look like if everything was under the Lordship of Christ? Off you go, and in 10 minutes, we'll look at the promises that Jesus gave us through this principle. 
Okay, so this principle comes with a promise and there are kind of three parts I want to bring out very quickly. The first part is this, that God will give you gifts you don't deserve. So this principle brings a promise to bless you far more than you actually probably deserve, certainly more than I've ever deserved. I've been blessed. Um, but it is conditional. Um, so it's more than we deserve, but there is still a part that we have to play. You know, in this principle, it says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, God will give you everything you need. If you don't seek first, this principle isn't for you. But we have to understand that God loves us and God wants to give us things that we don't deserve. I'm, as a father, always looking for an opportunity to bless my sons. I'm always hoping they're going to do something that I can reward uh, because I, I want to bless them. Part two of the promise is really important. God will not give you anything that will become God to you. Now, the reason flat is surely obvious. If something becomes God to you, you will serve it. And God wants you to serve him. And serving him comes with far more rewards than serving anything else. So there may be things that you're chasing that God is withholding. It might not be the enemy. It might be God himself. Now, the thing to understand about this is that you can still get those things. I was thinking last night about all the things that you can only get from God and I thought, okay, what can only God give me? Well, salvation, there's one. Okay, what else can only God give me? What else can only God give me? I pretty much couldn't think of anything. I thought of maybe two things, but both of them are a bit, I'm not too sure. Most things in life, you can get. You don't need God for. You don't need God to be happy. You don't need God to be joyful. You don't need God to have peace in your heart. You don't need God to have that perfect relationship you can go and get those things, but here's the key between God giving you something and between you going and getting that thing. What God gives, God maintains. What you go and get, you have to maintain. There are things that I know God has given me and God just takes care of them. I'm not forcing them. I don't have to worry about them. You know, God gave me my wife. I'm going to tell you the story about that in a moment. Uh, but the great thing is that God maintains that relationship. I, I've not tricked her into marrying me, which if you look at her, you might think I, I had to, but I've not tricked her into marrying me. She married me bizarrely, willingly, uh, and, and God was behind that, and God helps us. God keeps our marriage together. Uh, our marriage was interesting because um, when I first met Lynn, um, I um, kind of, um, we kind of got together and then at some point after a few weeks I felt God called me to go to uh, Scotland and then probably to Africa or somewhere and uh, Lynn turned around to me and said you know what I'm not called to Africa so if you go to to do this course in Scotland then it's the end of us and that was really difficult because by then I'd fallen in love with Lynn but at the same time I felt I should go to this place so I decided to put the kingdom of God first. And it was really, really one of the hardest decisions that I ever made. And when I was in Scotland, um, it was really difficult because I would phone Lynn up and say, how are you? And she would say, I'm all right. What have you been doing? Nothing. She didn't really want to carry on the relationship. I remember praying one day and God really speaking to me and giving me a Bible passage, which I believed was, was kind of confirmation that actually we would one day get together. And I made the mistake of ringing Lynn and giving her this verse and she put the phone down on me. Uh, eventually, God didn't 
tell me to go to Africa. He told me to go back to Manchester, which surprised me. And when I got back to Manchester, uh, Lynn wouldn't really talk to me. Uh, but eventually I proposed to her. I was sat on a washing machine when I did at the time and she wasn't really that interested. But what I found out afterwards was what was awkward for Lynn was when I called her that day and gave her that Bible verse, God had given her the same verse that same day. And then one day we're in Manchester. Now I don't recommend this because uh, I'm not a big believer in fleeces, this idea of looking for signs. But we were talking about marriage and Lynn said, if I walk around this corner and there's a wedding there, then I'll marry her. Well, that was ridiculous because we're in the middle of Manchester. It was just shops and, and different places like that. We turned around the corner and for the only time in my entire life, and I've been to Manchester city centre hundreds, if not thousands of times, there was a wedding there and we got married. And what I learned from that is that if you fight for the heart of the king, the king will fight for your heart as well. But the great thing is I didn't force that relationship. I didn't have to maintain our relationship in that way. I have to work at it, but I know God is behind it. And there are many people who I believe are chasing things and God is withholding those things because they will become God to you. Even with our homes and our houses, we made pays free which meant we didn't get any income, uh, which is what you normally get for an, an internship program. You normally get it because people pay to do the training. We decided to give the training away free, but God is taking care of our homes. The house we live in now is, I would never ever dreamt we could live in a house like this, but it's something God gave us. Now the fact of the matter is that some people will have the things I've got much, much better, but some people will have got those things by putting those things first and they will know that I've got all the things that I wanted but if I'm honest I put the kingdom second and third and now they have to maintain that stuff they have to keep working at keeping hold of that stuff they may not have the peace that I have that God is in control and I'm not saying I always seek first the kingdom of God what I'm saying is that principle is strong in my life and I'm aware of it okay the third thing to think about is this God may not give you the money to buy the stuff you want, but he will give you the stuff people use money to buy. So he may not make you rich, but he will give you the security rich people hope to buy. He may not give you a fast car, but he will give you the respect that people buy fast cars to gain. He may not give you the fame, but he will give you the influence that politicians can only dream about. I think this is a really key part of this principle is that God has placed desires in our heart. In fact, I believe God has placed desires in our heart that even he won't feel, fulfill in this life because some of the desires he's placed within you can only be fulfilled by him in eternity. But he puts these desires in our heart and he will give us the things that people use money to buy. So I love adventure. I always have. For some reason, which I'll, I'll explain a little bit later, uh, God put in me the desire for adventure. When most of my friends in Manchester loved football, and I do, or rugby and cricket, which I, which I do, what I really longed for was to ski or to go sailing or to, to, to climb mountains, to do all that kind of stuff, to, to go places. None of my friends that I remember were into that kind of stuff. But for some reason, I had that kind of desire within me. Well, now I look back over my life and it's incredible the things that God has gifted to me. I'm just going to go through a list of things. Now, you may have done some of these things, but let me make a point about that in a moment. Here are some of the things I've done in my life. 
I've qualified as an advanced scuba diver and scuba dive throughout the world. I've skied and snowboarded many times in the Canadian and American Rockies. I've sailed the Greek islands on a schooner from Athens to Mount Olympus. I played in a rock band around the UK and recorded songs I've written. I've ridden elephants in Thailand. I've surfed some of the greatest spots in the world. I've lived for several weeks in the most exclusive hotel and beach in Barbados. I've kayaked in Deep Cove, Canada and on the Yampa River in the Rockies. I've sailed around shark-infested islands in Australia. I've been to every continent in the world apart from Antarctic and visited just under 40 different nations. Now, you may have done some of that stuff, but for a young lad from Moston who's not really earned very much money in his life, that's pretty amazing because most of those things were gifts of some sort. In fact, many of those things happened when I was visiting a country to do some kind of ministry. And I look back now and realize God put those desires in my heart because he knew the plan he had for me. And he knew that when I went to those places, I'd be able to get some enjoyment out of it as well as just work. So that's why I believe God made me that way. He always had this plan for me that I would make missionaries and go to different parts of the world. You see, I actually don't like traveling. Um, I love adventure, but I don't like being away from home. I don't like being away from my wife. Even at my age, I get really, really homesick. And uh, doing those things really, really kind of gives me that adventure, that buzz when I get there that kind of helps me. So those three things I think are important about the promise that God gives us. You know, God loves you. And he wants to give you things you don't deserve. He's looking for a way to reward you. But God won't give you things that uh, will become God to you. He'll hold those things back because that's not good for you. Now, when they won't become God to you, then he'll give you them. And the third thing, of course, I've just mentioned is he may not give you money to buy the stuff that people want, but he'll give you the stuff that people use money to buy. So with those thoughts, as we think about this kingdom principle, this seeking first God's kingdom, God's rule, God's reign, God's lordship, as we make that the primary concern in our lives, let's look at our final workshop. As you look at the diagram of the line and the cloud on your worksheet, I would like you to write three different things. Below the line, I would like you to write your desires, the things that you think God has put in your heart. Above the line, I'd like you to write the stuff that that might look like. You know, the stuff that people would buy to fulfill those desires. And then in the cloud, I would like you to put the promises of God to fulfill those desires. So how might God fulfill those promises? So I hope that makes sense. Below the line, just put the desires of your heart. What are they? Above the line, put the kind of things that pagans, people who don't know Jesus might buy in order to fulfill those desires. But in the cloud, I'd like you to write down some of the promises or some of the ways in which you think God might fulfill those desires, even if it doesn't mean giving you the stuff. You know, maybe you'll never travel. Maybe you have desires and you think to fulfill those desires, you need to travel. Well, maybe that's not God's plan for you. Maybe it's different. Maybe he's got a different way of fulfilling those desires. So this is a, another kind of meditation exercise. Just wait on God, write those three things down and just see if God begins to speak to you about the way he wants to fulfill the desires in your life. 
But most of all, remember, seeking first the kingdom of God is not about approaching God in the way that he will fulfill your desires. It's about approaching God, asking the question, how do we fulfill his dreams, his vision, knowing then that through ways we probably don't expect, he's going to fulfill the deepest desires that he put in our heart in the first place. Hope that's helpful. Uh, I'll speak to you next time about another kingdom principle. Bye-bye.